I'm now joined by Tim May. We're going to do the talk a little bit differently today. So this is going to be interview style. So we're going to be talking to each other, but then when you have a theological point of real, you know, profound nature, you're going to turn and look to that camera right there. There we go. Absolutely nailing it. We're going to get that much sharper as, as we move forward. Um, and also, because we've been announcing little ones that are arriving, and I think we did a quick check that this is safe for you to announce. For those that don't know... We're having a baby girl. <laughs> yeah, so... Luna and I in September, middle of September, would you? Um, I think everyone that knows should know. If you don't, <laughs> then... Uh... Brilliant. Here we are. Then we're going to chop this up and put it on Instagram and then everyone <laughs> will know. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions. We're in a teaching series called Reconciled, the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. So last week I spoke um, and we're looking at questions that Jesus asked or was asked. And last week we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan where Jesus is asked, who is my neighbour? Um, this week we're going to look at another question. Um, it's a really bizarre question. Jesus is asked by his disciples, who's the greatest? Who's the best? So I'm going to read you a bit of this passage. This is Luke 22, but it's in most of the gospel accounts. There's a version of this story. Um, a dispute arose amongst them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, if you look at some of the different accounts of this, this is what cracks me up. And a lot of the accounts, the context is Jesus has just announced that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be brutally murdered and crucified. And their response is like, oh, that, that's interesting but who's the best? You know, it's just, it's so dark. And I'm sure we've all been there where you, you think someone's sharing something profound, but you're thinking, yeah, that's interesting. Am I the best? Um, so let's read what Jesus says. He says, the king of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. In other words, you're not to be like the world around you. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. So I want to ask this question because, again, social media, what COVID-19 has done, our lives feel like they've, you know, been shrunk, shrunken down. And, and we're constantly seeing what others are doing well, but we're also aware of what we're not doing well. Yeah. And competition kicks in. So when we ask the question, like, who's the greatest? What is the soul actually searching for? Right, yeah, I mean, it's in all of us, isn't it, this drive? Um, but I guess, like, underneath it, there are these two essential drives in every human heart. I think the drive for security and the drive for significance, yeah. the drive to be safe and the drive to matter, to make something of yeah. yourself. And, you know, if you think about something like, I guess everyone's so surprised at why people vote for Trump sometimes. A lot of the press and a lot of, you know, myself and friends are like, why do people vote for Trump? Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, he talked to these two essential drives. Wow. If you think about his, like, famous slogans, uh, build a wall. Yeah. That's security, the yeah. drive to be safe. And also, make America great again, yeah. the drive to be significant. Yeah. And these two essential drives are in all of us. Yeah. Like, I think it's in me, probably, the drive to be significant is greater than the drive to be secure. Yeah. Like, I wake up and before I've had my cornflakes, if I haven't changed the world, I kind of feel a little bit disappointed. <laughs> uh, but over time, like, although that, that edge has been rubbed off a bit and a bit sort of softer, it's still there in me. Yeah. And I guess the question with significance is if it comes at someone else's expense, there's yes. a problem. Yeah. And that's often because of a lack of security. Yeah. Like if, if you're not sure on who you are, if you're not sure about yourself, you can only be significant by being better than somebody yeah. else. So these two drives, I think that lies, that's the kind of thing underneath this drive to be better, is when we're insecure and we want to be significant at someone else's expense. Yeah. 
And I guess we're all feeling quite insecure right now. Yeah. Um, like I remember in my mid-20s, I ended up in counselling. I'd been through some you know, pretty rough stuff. And one of the key things that came through my counselling journey was that through my upbringing, I'd equated success with love. So I thought I'm only as lovable as I am successful. In other words, I began to see people as competition. Um, and rather than being people that could actually love me and I could you know, reciprocate that by loving in return, they, on my darker days, they almost became a threat of like, oh no, but if they succeed, I won't experience yeah. love, which totally, you end up pushing people down because you want to be yeah. elevated. Now, a lot of people are talking about supremacy mm. right now, white supremacy, and this drive that competition, it means there's winners and there's losers. Yeah. losers. People want to be elevated and they want to push others down. Yeah. And that has a dehumanizing effect. So we, we could talk about the history of slavery, but it's also present in other spheres like yeah. the porn industry, yeah. where essentially people become objects that we use yeah. to satisfy our own distorted longings. Yeah. How do you identify mm. like some of those drives, not yeah. just out there, but like yeah. in here? I guess, I mean, it begins with this idea of distance. Yeah. So, like I said, if, if someone else's weakness is the means of your strength, you need to make them less than you. Yeah. You need to find a way to degrade them. Yeah. You need to find even just a subtle way to chip away at their identity so that they become less than you. And that distance creates a space where they can become like an other. Yeah. And from being an other, you can start to attach sort of dehumanized ideas to them. Yeah. Like it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, I mean, what's porn? It's just digital. Like no one, yeah. no one gets hurt. Doesn't right? harm anyone. Yeah. Um, and these ideas we start to attach to people like women are weaker yeah. uh, or black men carry knives. These yeah. kind of ridiculous statements start to enter into our minds because of a distance, a yeah. distance between people. When we stop to see people, stop seeing people as friends, yeah. stop seeing people as neighbors, start yeah. to see them as others. They can't even become enemies. Yeah. And here's the thing, you see it in all sides of the debate at the moment, where we want to other someone and they become an enemy. And you don't treat your enemy like you would want yourself to be treated. Yes. Because for them to be an enemy, they're worse than you are. Yeah. So that you can treat them worse than you, right? Yeah. And so it begins with that idea of distance, that there's a space between people where you stop to see them as a human, you start to see them as something other than a human. But I guess beyond that, the other thing that we have to realise is that we think about these things often as individual choice and we find like someone really bad and like it's always you know yeah. <laughs> there's that thing isn't there all internet conversations and, and however many words come back to Hitler right <laughs> we always think of like what's the worst person yeah. so when it comes to say something like racism we make it out there yeah. behind us normally in history yeah. we go to like the transatlantic slave trade or apartheid and we think of like the most extreme example that has nothing to do with us we can yes. rather than realise that when we wake up we wake into systems yeah. that we did not create yeah. that we are part of. Yeah. And so that idea of privilege in this means that it's a power that you don't really know that you have. It's just a river that you, you were sort of born into, so you don't know what water is. And that's the dis that sort of coupled with the distance yeah. is how this journey from like competition and comparison that's in every heart arrives at supremacy. Yeah, wow. And I guess that touches on last week's conversation around the Good right. Samaritan of Jesus, you know, speaks right into that or like the Samaritan, there's distance there. Yeah. But actually Jesus is saying, no, those those boundaries need to be broken so that there can be proximity and proximity yeah. is key um, when it comes to friendship mm -hmm. and, and intimacy. 
So let's move on. We've, we've named the problem, like competition, yeah. who's the best? It's such a human sort of like question, yeah. but it you know, speaks into the brokenness. Let's talk about the remedy. And we're going we're gonna to launch into kind of Philippians chapter yeah. two with Jesus' vision for the redemption mm. of power. But before we get to that, just a question then, because a lot of the conversations around power treat power like it's a really bad thing. Yeah. Like, is, is there a different vision for power? Well, I guess... You know, in a, in a basic sense, power isn't bad. In fact, power is great. Yeah. <laughs> to have power is an awesome thing. In fact, the absence of power is effectively what poverty is like. Yeah. The question is what you do with your power. Yeah. So the raw element of power to be able to affect change in the world, that's got to be a good thing. But it's what you do with it really counts. And I think that's where the Christian story is so different. You know, we have the most powerful thing. Like, if God isn't the most powerful thing there is, then it's not mm. God, right? So <laughs> that has to be a thing that you say God is. But then God becomes a baby. Like, as, as, as a poet said, infinity dwindled to infancy. Yeah. The exterior of the face, the great outset, outside, the exterior of the universe, God of face, like, he humbled himself. Yeah. And, and so the whole story of power... As we're going to see, it's just completely different with Christianity. Yeah. Well, so let's launch straight in. So this is Philippians chapter two. Um, I'm going to read the key section, but it is Paul basically articulating the way of Jesus as it relates to power. So the first few verses he's talking about, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition, which is probably a distorted understanding of power. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. And then look, look at the model of Jesus, verse six, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross and then this hymn um, launches into you know therefore God exalted him to the highest place um, so yeah talk us through Jesus' vision for the redemption of power well I guess just something to say on uh, Paul's world when he's mm. writing this He's writing at a time where um, there was something known as, as the course of, of honour or the cursus honorum. And it was the Roman way of life that, that you would move through, through different like uh, military roles and public roles. And at the end of it, you would get the place of honour mm. and the place of honour was a statue. Wow. And so you've got uh, somewhere like the island of Rhodes in Greece, where at one point they had 3,000 statues and they sort of ran out of space for statues. So they started scratching off people's names and putting someone else on. When they realized <laughs> they looked no one like it, it was, it was a bit awkward. But, and, and, and the statue was always of like someone who was 30, like buff, yeah. uh, really a good bit, looking. A little bit like this. A lot like you. Before you um, could take me down, I. Yeah, well done. Yeah, Very good. Yeah, there's a competition <laughs> coming through there. Yeah, you saw it. Who's the greatest? Anyway, yeah, anyway, 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 anyway. Um, so the cursus honorum, that was the way of life that was the best. Yeah. And in Roman society, status is so much more important than money. Yeah. It's all about can you get to the place of honor? And in one sense, Paul holds this out and says, that's there. It's just not good enough. Mm. It's nowhere near good enough. The way Jesus showed what it means to use power yeah. is actually the other way around. It's to lose status, wow. almost to degrade yourself, to mm. empty yourself, it says here. And, and, and I guess the most radical part of that for us is, is really the word equality. Mm. It says, who being in very nature God, so secure about his identity, God isn't insecure about being God. <laughs> yeah. 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. A, a, another, another way of translating the Greek, that is something to be grasped, yeah. which takes us like back to the beginning of the story, Adam and Eve, who grasped at their own independence and autonomy and yeah. received the curse of it. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And we live at a time where, uh, for very good reasons, equality is almost held out as the goal, the yeah. vision in and of itself. So something like the Equality Act of 2010 pulls together 116 bits of litigation and legislation since 1970 and says, this is who we are. We are a people fighting for equality. And I want to champion that and say, you know, as people born, or every single human is born in the image of God, and there's an yeah. equality of worth, of course. But I actually want to say that equality is not the vision yeah. of the Christian life. For the church, we have to have a bigger vision. Yeah. Why? Because equality doesn't go far enough. Yeah. You know, I don't actually want to be treated equally all the time. I'll tell you why. I make horrendous mistakes. I do terrible things sometimes. Tell us more. Well, that's for later. It's <laughs> for later. But I don't want to be treated the same all the time. Yeah. I long for mercy. I yeah. long for grace. I long for when I'm at my weakest moments yeah. to receive something more than justice. Yeah. And equality stops far too short. The law of the land, yeah, it's great that we have the Equality Act. But actually the Christian gospel goes further and says the course of power is self-emptying and self-emptying towards the goal of power, yeah. which is love. Wow. Like power's purpose is found on the way out. Yeah. It's found as it leaves you. It's a flow, it's a dynamic energy that comes from the very heart of God, the Trinity. Yeah. Wow. God's raw energy and power is to give away, to make, to create, to serve, to love. And that's the journey that you see in that passage. Because of our sin and because we were dead in our sin, we needed a savior, not a helper. Mm. So Jesus came emptied, fully got involved, stuck in. He, he could have said, well, here I am. Here's me. I'm mm. equal to God. Mm. Can you get up to my level? Mm. Not a chance. Yeah. And I feel there on some days, like, can I get my life together? Mm. No. I need my wife. I need my friends. Yeah. I need my family. And so I think we, we say equality. Yes. Brilliant. Legally. And then for the church, let's go further. Let's go beyond the quality. Let's seek to empty ourselves of power for the sake of others. Wow. As you're speaking, and I've heard you talk about this before, the story of the lady that's been hemorrhaging for years and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and, and she experiences healing and Jesus said, you know, power came out from me, yeah. which is, I guess, is an outworking of what yeah. you're saying. Power flowed out for the purpose of love, yeah. healing and restoration. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in that it's like, let's not... We are a power-obsessed culture at the moment. Uh, and there's this incredible complexity around power and how it should be redistributed and, and who should get power. But if we say the goal of power is love, it, it's something more. It's something less static, something yeah. more dynamic. And, and we shouldn't be afraid of power. Neither should we seek it. It's mm. that exactly like you said, it's a beautiful thing that Jesus, who knows his power, lets it flow straight from him. Wow. So final passage then um, from John chapter 13. We're going to try and get practical now and talk about practices of reconciliation and redemption of power. And this is the famous story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And Peter's the one that's saying, no, 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 you know, 
don't do that. It should be the other way around. And, and Jesus says, no, no, this is the way it's going to be. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, that's the police car going past, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Um, and it goes on. Um, so Jesus, like you've got this passage in, in Philippians 2 talking about the incarnation, that God empties himself and takes on human flesh. You've got the way of the cross, the journey towards weakness. But you've got this really beautiful vision just before the cross of Jesus actually getting in the dirt and washing the dirt off the disciples' feet. What does it look like for us to follow that example? Well, I think there are a couple of lessons that you can learn from this. I mean, you could try to implement Jesus's plan exactly yeah. and go around foot washing. Yeah. I'm not sure in a COVID era how well <laughs> yeah. that will go, but you could give it a go. But I think there's lessons you can learn about what he does that, that really should inspire us to different, but I think actions of the same character. And yeah. that's that it's embodied, yeah. it's physical. Secondly, it's that it's awkward. Like, mm. it's such an inconvenience. Mm. It disrupts a whole story about who's the most honourable person in the room, what's the most dishonourable part of the body, what's the worst thing that could happen. It's so inconvenient, and love is a terrible inconvenience. <laughs> uh, and I think it's embodied, it's inconvenient. Uh, and lastly, it actually transforms. Yeah. Like, it actually changes people's hearts. I, like, I think we should look for practices that make a difference to the power structures around us, like this one, who's the most honourable person. I think we should figure out how to do them in physically embodied ways. Yeah. Like there's something, particularly in a time, that's so wrapped up in outrage that's primarily displayed online. Yeah. How can we be embodied in the solution? How can we be physical in, in the remedy? And it's so desperately inconvenient. Yeah. So, so an, an obvious practice is around friendship, right? Yeah. Because we all know that you're not justified by your social media status. Mm. Uh, we all know that God cares so much more than what you say online and what you do with your time and your heart and your life, of course. So, so we say like an obvious practice, like be friends with people who are different from you. Mm. And that all sounds great. But the practice of it in your actual schedule will mm. be an incredible inconvenience. Yeah. Like I, I, I long to see more in my own life. And, and I've got so far to go but just my life constantly inconvenienced by love yeah and that's probably what it looks like now yeah. the the practices will be different from street to street from area to area but a similar kind of theme of disrupting what's honor and what's powerful and having the inconvenience of love yeah. in your everyday yeah and sometimes these practices sometimes they feel effortless it's like an overflow of the heart and sometimes it is an embodied practice you have to drag your yeah. body to the table you know and i think something like diarising time yeah. of we're going to put aside time we're going to be really intentional about developing friendships with people that aren't like us so I think again the Danielle Strickland interview we did on the midweek edition she spoke about this proximity being king and how intentional she's had to be mm. about creating a small group a hub that is filled with people that are entirely different to her it doesn't come on a plate she's had to sort of actually build those relationships mm. And I guess what you're saying is like, that's going to take some sort of intentionality before it becomes second nature yeah. for us to have those friendships. Yeah. We've got to do something that doesn't feel like it is, yeah. for, you know, doesn't come. 
I'm it's second like nature. Anything that's hard, like exercise, you want you want the glory of the finish race, but yeah. no one wants like the six a.m. kind of like get yes. up call for the jog, and, and and it should feel like that. This the same thing in terms of how we do our relationships and how we use our time. Like it's so boring to mm. spend time with people who are different from you, who you have nothing in common with. Yeah. At first, it's like. Well, obviously, you've got nothing in common with them. What do you talk yeah. about? Yeah. But actually, when you transcend those differences, yeah. when you find a common humanity, you get over the distance of the otherness, it is transformative. But you yeah. don't get there quickly. Yeah. Wow. Well, why don't we land it there, Tim? That's an absolute gift. So much to think on. We also want to turn this sort of like to prayer. So we're going to create some space for some ministry. We're going to invite the Spirit to come. But like, yeah, what are we praying for right now? How, how do we ready ourselves just to receive what God has for us? I guess one thing is just to, to fall in love with Jesus again. Yeah. To see that this story really is different. This story really does not equate to the stories that, that populate our feeds right now, that are getting acclamation. This story is inconvenient, but it's just the most wonderful story. Yeah. That in our weakness and in our fragility, we will love not because of our, uh, any merit apart from God's desire to love us. And, and that idea of love being the end of power, the goal, yeah. true goal of power, I think we need to fall in love with it again, to have our mm. hearts wooed by it, to believe in it. And then secondly, if, if it was something else, beyond the imagination. I remember Jackie Pullinger just saying that what we really need is to have soft hearts and hard feet. Yeah. And so many of us have hard hearts and soft feet. We give up easy, our feet hurt. And so I guess that's the prayer, like for an imagination of the power, the real power of love, to, to, to get re-inspired by that, but also to gain hard feet and yeah. soft hearts.